Welcome to Mosaic Church, and thank you for joining us here online. To prepare for today's message, we encourage you to utilize the Mosaic Cincinnati app. There, you can view the message notes, put in prayer requests, and so much more. Enjoy the message. Uh, but I'm really, really, really pumped to start this new series, um, and, and I just love the title, The Problem with People. We all have a story of just that person in our life, you know, that someone in our life that just oh my goodness, drives us nuts. Um, and my, my favorite story, and I hadn't even planned on sharing this, but I thought about it just a minute ago. Um, I, I, I was out to a movie with some of the youth kids um, that I worked with back in Illinois uh, before we moved here. And this was years and years ago, but, but we got there early. We stood in line for a long time to be sure to get in and get the best seat. And so we had gotten in there and like, have you ever gotten to a movie like 40 minutes early just because you wanted a good seat? And so we did that. You know, they had, we were there when they opened the door and it was like a premiere and so we sit down and so we had been sitting in our seats drinking pop and, and eating popcorn for like 45 minutes before uh, the, the, the previews come on and, and, and how many of you know like you gotta go and so I'm like hey guys save my seat I'll be right back I get up go to the bathroom come back and lo and behold this guy had just come right there was like 10 of us and he sat in my seat and my friends, being the good friends that they are, they, they were like, hey, our, our buddy just went to the bathroom. He's coming right back, and so sorry, that seat's taken. And this dude with this, this cold resolve, he set his eyes on that screen. He didn't look to the right or left, and he just said, I ain't moving. Right? And so I come back and I'm the, I'm the youth pastor. So all these guys are supposed to be looking up to me. And I come back and I'm like, oh, hey, buddy, I just went to the bathroom. You know, you're in my seat. And, and, and once again, I ain't moving. And so it's just one of those times where it's just like, you know, the problem with people, right? People can just be people. And and sometimes you just don't know what to do. And, and I'll confess, like as a pastor in that moment, I had all kinds of unholy thoughts and just, just I, I didn't know what to say to this guy. Like first time in my life, like it was just like just this bold face, like, you know, whatever, you know, I'm, I'm not moving. And so, um, you know, maybe I'll tell you the rest of the story sometime, but <laughs> he did move eventually. Um, but... But we're gonna be in this series about relationships and people and just how do you deal with people, right? And so we're gonna talk, you know, kind of weaving into these topics, you know, family and marriages and dating and work and friendships and, and just all of it. And my hope is that, is that these topics, you can apply to wherever, whatever stage of life that you're in, right? That whether you're, you're single, young, older, you know, grandkids, you know, you are the grandkid, wherever you're at you can apply God's principles to your life. And so, but today the focus and the topic is that people, you know, the problem with people is that they don't cooperate, right? They just don't cooperate. And so every week we're gonna kind of be making a statement like this and then unpacking it with God's word. But you know, one of the most powerful words in that sentence, when you say the problem with people is they don't cooperate. You know, one of the telling words there is the word they, right? Because it's way easier to talk about they, and it's way easy to see all the planks in everybody else's eye, or the specks in their eye, and not notice the plank in your own, right? You're watching football, and, and sometimes you're like, man, if they would just, 
You know, you're yelling at the TV, throwing stuff at the TV, and, and some of you did that last week, right? You're so bitter, you're not even gonna watch the game next weekend, right? And we don't even know specifically who we're talking about sometimes who are like, man, if they would just, the people that make this thing, and it's like, you don't know who makes this thing, but if they would just change it, it would be so much better. And we get so frustrated at the they in life. And it's just so, it comes off the tongue so easily. They, right? The older I get, though, that really convicts me because the older I get, the more I realize that anytime I say they don't or they should or they this or that, it's really code for I should. Really? It's really code for, man, I should really be more fill in the blank. And as a leader, you know, when we say things like, my people won't, and if you're a boss or if you lead an area, or my kids won't, man, we hear that one all the time, don't we? And no, no stone's thrown, I've said it. My kids won't do X, Y, and Z. It's really code for, I have not led them to. It really is. Why? Because we teach what we know, but we reproduce who we are. And so the character gaps in me, or the character, sorry, the character gaps that I see in others, and this is the foundation of this whole series, the character gaps that I see in others really do clue me in to who I need to be for them. Why? And some of you are already pushing back mentally, but why? Because God put us here to make a difference. God put us here to make a difference, and the primary way that I make a difference is to be different. More specifically, is to be like Jesus. Not just different and weird, and everybody looks at you, and you're like, man, that dude's really strange. No, no, I want to be different in that I look more like Jesus. And so if someone is uncooperative, I need to be a person who can cooperate. If someone is, ent- is entitled I need to, and, and unappreciative, I need to be a person who shows appreciation and encouragement. If someone never makes the sacrifices for others and they're as selfish as can be, then I need to be a person who sacrifices for them. If someone is always busy and never has time for people, then I need to be somebody who has time for them because they're about to fall apart, <laughs> right? Because they're wound so tight. And like I said, some of you are already mentally pushing back You think to yourself, I can never be all things for all people all the time, and you're right. You'll burn out. You know, you've got to take care of yourself. You know, you've got to have that me time sometimes, and you you do not want to be codependent. And so that's not what we're talking about today. I'm simply saying that as a life principle, we have to respond differently. Our response as believers when it comes to the problems with people cannot be the same as the rest of the world. Someone has to lead the way. Someone has to be different. And Jesus called you and me, the church of Jesus Christ. It's not a building, it's a people, it's us. Jesus called us to lead the way. So when we see all the different problems with people, that is a softball for us to think, how can I be different? How can I lead the way? Why? Because if I respond in kind, if I respond in kind, then the world is going to be in even more trouble. Because that's how things have become the way they are in the first place. 
The world is so messed up and people are so messed up because everybody just uh, acts in an ungodly manner and then they respond in kind towards each other. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You hurt me, I hurt you. You offend me, I'm gonna do my best to one-up you, right? So instead, we have to be the change agents. We need to lead the way. We need to be the thermostats setting the temperature of every room that we walk into. Have you ever noticed that all people have problems with people? Like this is kind of a universal thing and everybody thinks that their, their way is the best way, right? I do too, trust me, just ask my wife. I, I, I know it all. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm just an expert in all areas. And so, <laughs> it's so stupid, right? And so, but everybody has problems with people. They look funny, they smell funny, they talk funny, they eat weird things, they have weird customs. It's just, you know, people are weird. And so today, with this backdrop, we're gonna, we're gonna talk about how do we cooperate? How do we co-operate? Operate together, function together, work together. And it's especially difficult in our culture today because think about it. Things that we didn't individually own just a couple decades ago, now we all have. For instance, we all have our own phone. It used to be a cord attached to the wall. Some of you remember, even remember the party lines that you'd get on the phone and you'd have to make sure that you know, the neighbors weren't listening in. Some of you kids are like, that, that happened? <laughs> yes. We all, most of us, not everybody, and I get that, some kids are sharing bedrooms these days, but, but you know, most people have their own bedrooms now. Did you know that that's, this is a particularly modern concept? It began in the 1920s and really expanded from the 40s to the 80s. But even at this same moment that we're in right now, you could travel to literally billions of homes on the planet right now where the entire family sleeps in one room. But we think, oh, it's just so normal. We all have our own stuff. We have our own cars. We have our own accounts. We, we can all order our own food. We don't even think about that as novel, right? Menus, what a novel concept. Even our, in our own homes, many times, different food is made for different people, right? The, me, the, the very concept of a menu, it didn't even come around for the very first time until the year 1000. A thousand years after Christ, and it began in China because they got so many different crazy ingredients. Now you know what's up when you go to the, the Chinese buffet. It's like, whoa, right? Well, that started in the year 1000, and then in France in 1751, the first menu in, 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 in Europe came to be. And so it wasn't even that long ago, historically speaking, that, that we have all these choices. One of my favorite uh, restaurants I ever went to in, in Bulgaria, all they served was chicken soup every day for lunch. And it's just so easy, you walk in, hey, what's for lunch? Oh, it's chicken soup again, right? <laughs> Choice made. It's amazing, another one of my favorite restaurants back in Chicago when I lived there, there was one thing on the menu, pig. That was it. And so the question is, what part of the pig do you wanna eat? It was amazing. They even used the guts and made menudo, and so it's like you could have, you could have pig meat or you could have pig soup, but you're eating the pig, right? No choices here. Love that. And so this, this whole idea of choice and everybody gets their own thing is, is such a modern concept. And when it comes to work, we live in one of the most personalized times in history. 
You can work from home, you can work from your office, you can work in your RV, you don't, you don't wanna work but you still want a paycheck, okay, right? <laughs> you, you laugh but it's true. More entrepreneurs than ever, everybody doing their own thing. More people work from home, create their own hours, personalized learning at school, you know, everything is, is just, how do you want it? And I'm not saying that any of these things are necessarily bad. But we def- but here's, here's, here's where the, the plot clots, where the tension comes. We definitely have more opportunities than ever to disconnect from others and just do our own thing. And I don't know about you, but if you don't practice cooperating with other people on a daily basis, you get out of practice like that. And all of a sudden, you become, that, you become one of the guys in that old grumpy old men movie, right? And you just don't want to get along with anybody anymore. It takes practice. This makes it really difficult to work together. But we know that if we're going to do anything particularly worthwhile, we have to work together. Because when we do it together, we can do more than we can do on our own. All day, every day exponential impact, right? Families that can't cooperate don't survive. Businesses with employees that fight and create silos and turf wars don't survive. Churches with people who don't cooperate don't survive. You get the idea. And so the question today is how do we cooperate with each other? This applies to all relationships, marriage, family, work, dating, you name it, friendship, and so our, back, our backdrop for this week is going to be 1 Peter. And so we're going to highlight some different passages in 1 Peter today, but I encourage you, your homework for this week is to go home and read 1 Peter all the way through. It's like five chapters. Uh, you'll knock it out really quick. So it's a quick read. Check it out this week. But 1 Peter was written to many churches by the Apostle Peter. Um, it, wasn't, it wasn't a letter written to just one church like Galatians or Ephesians. You know, at the beginning of 1 Peter, it lists all these different places that he was sending the letter to. And the thing that I love about 1 Peter is that it sets our sights on eternity. It encourages us to endure suffering and persecution with joy. It gives us many guidelines for our interactions with other people, both inside and outside the church. And I figured, you know, just for kicks... What better backdrop to learn from than a letter that was written from someone and two people who were both in danger of being martyred by other people? Hence, the problem with people, right? Some problems with people are more extreme than others. Most of us will never have it that bad. Most of us will never be in a place where, you know, we're, we're on the list to get martyred for our faith. Never say never, you never know. But most of us probably won't. And so let's dig into 1 Peter this morning and just ask God to speak to us. Let's pray. God, open our hearts, open our minds. Dealing with people can be so difficult and we can list by the thousands the problems. But God, you put us here to be different. You put us here to cooperate. You put us here so we could band together function as one, and make a difference to the kingdom of God. And so help us to do that today and in the weeks and months to come. In Jesus' name, amen. The first thing that we're going to see in 1 Peter today is that we have to commit to a common goal. 
We do. We got to commit to a common goal. Why? Because without vision, people perish. Without vision, your family, your business, your church, relationships, all of it will not make it. Or at a minimum, it will just survive. You'll just get through. And there won't be any purpose. There won't be any direction. It'll just be like hit every day on repeat, right? So we need a vision. Proverbs 29, 18 says, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. I love that from the message paraphrase. The New Living Translation says, when people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. But whoever obeys the law is joyful. Probably the the version of that verse that you've heard most if you've been around church is that without vision, the people perish, right? And so what does that tell us? When we can't all get on one page, God's page, and do what God prescribed and do what God is telling us to do, things aren't just gonna work like they should. And this isn't some random feel-good goal, just like, oh, we should all have goals. Oh, we just need to love everybody. You know, we say, why can't everybody just get along? You know, we, oh, we just need more love. It's, it's more specific than that. It's more specific than that if you look at Scripture. It's divinely inspired, and it's scripturally guided. It's based on the great commandment to love God with everything that we have, with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then to love others, and to go into all the world, the great commission, and preach the gospel to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded us to do. So that's the vision, that's the direction. As a believer, that's what you're called to do, and so this is our common goal that we are committed to. But 1 Peter gives us even another glimpse that I believe gives us a why behind the what, because that is a worthy goal. Hey, we're gonna do the great commandment, we're gonna do the great commission, and we're gonna do it to the best of our ability, and that's awesome. But we have something to look forward to, And I believe that a great common goal when it comes to cooperating with other people, a great common goal is that we're gonna be together in eternity forever. Think about that. And so if we're gonna get along then, when there's not gonna be any fighting or or division or, or anything in heaven, you know, none of that, because we're gonna be completely one in the presence of God. And so if we're gonna get along then, then we might as well get along now. Come on, somebody, right? You're gonna spend eternity, let this sink in today, you're gonna spend eternity with a whole bunch of people that you currently can't stand being around. (laughs) Some of you are like, "I I was looking forward to going into heaven until now, right? But it's true. You know, there's there's gonna be people in heaven that maybe on this earth you, you didn't get along with. But they accepted the grace and the mercy of of our Lord Jesus Christ and God forgave them just like he forgave you. And we're gonna worship Jesus just like that song that we sang this morning. We're gonna stand before the throne of, of God forever and ever crying out holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And you won't wanna be anywhere else other than next to that friend, that brother, that person that maybe hurt you, right? You just, you, you, you just, ah, every time you're around them, it just, the hairs on the back of your neck stood up and you're just like, eh, right? Yeah. First Peter tells us that we are here temporarily. 
that we're like aliens or foreigners on this earth, and this is not our home. 1 Peter 3 through, uh, 1, 3 through 5 says it like this. It says, now we live with great expectation. It's our, com- our common goal, our common, what we're looking forward to. And we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change or de- decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while, right? And we're gonna have all kinds of trials on this earth, and, and, but a lot of it has to do with relationships. I would say one of the primary sources of trials in our life is trouble that comes from relationships. It is. And so First Peter goes on to tell us, prepare your minds for action. Exercise self-control. Be holy. Live right. Live like Jesus. Love each other deeply with all of your heart. Grow up in the faith. Become mature as Christians. I love all this. And so it's like, hey, we're going we're gonna to be in heaven together. We've got this inheritance that we're looking forward to. And so get a hold of yourself. This is the Joe paraphrase right now. Get a hold of what comes out of your mouth. Get a hold of what is happening in your life and live right Love each other deeply with all of your heart. Love this. It's not an option to hold grudges in the family of God. You don't have to like them, but you have to love them. You don't have to agree with them all the time, but we have to love each other. Why? Because we're gonna spend eternity together. How does this work in relationships with people who are not believers. First Peter gives a lot of guidance about that as well. How do you do it? You find common ground. You do this by guarding your witness, by guarding your witness, by, by doing the right thing. And your common goal with Jesus informs your relationship with them, right? Have you ever heard that there's, there's only two reasons that everybody in the world isn't a Christian? And the first reason is they, they've never met a Christian that told them about Christ. But the second reason is they met a Christian. And they were like, man, if that is what Christianity looks like, then I don't want any part of it. Now, we know that you know, people aren't just following us and we're gonna be imperfect and we're not gonna always get things right. But we wanna do our best to point people to Jesus, right? And so my common goal is Man, I'm gonna be in eternity with everybody, and so I'm gonna live like it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do what God is calling me to do. And then in 1 Peter 2.12, it says, be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior. There's the common ground. Things that they also see as honorable, they're gonna see in your life. And they will give honor to God when he judges the world things that are irrefutable, things that are universally acceptable, things that are just good. I just love it that a whole world celebrates good things that came from God. They don't even know they came from God. People that are atheists and don't believe in Jesus, you know, they they celebrate things that are good. But they need Jesus. And so we have to do 
what the Bible tells us to do and live properly among our unbelieving neighbors so that when the moment is right, we're positioned in such a way to share the good news with them. And this only happens to the, to the potential that it, it really could have, make a difference when we all commit to a common goal. We're here to love God. We're here to lead a broken and dying world to Jesus. And it's worth giving up things, getting along, and loving each other deeply with all of our hearts. So how do we do that practically? Number two, next thing we're gonna learn from, uh, from First Peter is that I need to maintain my agency and my flexibility. And you, you say, Joe, I don't have an agency. What, what do you think I am, a real estate agent? You know, it's like, uh, uh, you know, I don't have an agency. We're gonna unpack what that is here in a little bit. But I need to maintain my agency and my flexibility. First Peter 2.15 it says, it is God's will that, you, that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the king. I love this. It, it just gives us this, this broad brush picture it's like, you're free, but Jesus is your Lord. And so don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Sometimes, sometimes we're so rigid, we're so dogmatic, we're so legalistic, we're so just like, I'm right, that we do the right thing in the wrong way and it becomes the wrong thing. That we say the right thing, but in the wrong way, and we completely annihilate our witness for Christ. And we put ourselves in a place, in a relationship with other people where we can't cooperate because we burn the bridge. Have you ever been there? So 1 Peter continues into a section about dealing with people, authority figures, marriages, other believers, non-believers. And the common theme that we see throughout this passage is is that you are free to choose how you respond. You're free. Man, sometimes people, and I don't even like saying it like this, but this is how it feels. People make you so mad that you just feel like you're losing all control, right? I've been there. Have you ever been there? But even in that moment where you feel like, oh, they're making you so mad, the truth of God's word is that you still are in control. And that's what it looks like to maintain your agency. See, when Peter wrote this letter to these believers, they lived in a culture and in a place uh, where Nero was the king the, of Rome, and he was very, very oppressive, um, killing Christians all over the place, it was a bad environment for the believers. And yet, Peter is telling them, fear God and respect the king. It's, counter, it's counterintuitive, isn't it? They're in this dangerous place, fearing for their life, and he's still saying, respect the king. And then he goes on to give instructions to slaves at that time 
there was a lot of people in slavery, Christians that had come to know Christ, and for the rest of their life, they would be slaves to someone. And Paul has the audacity to tell them how to live, knowing that they probably would never get out of that slavery. Something, isn't it? Makes you think. And Paul wasn't advocating for slavery, not, 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 even, not even close. He was just saying, hey, this is the reality that you're living in, so here's how to reflect Christ in that current circumstance. Then he goes on to address wives and husbands, right? And he, he gives wives some really good um, tips, which, I mean, it, it applies to husbands too, and when your spouse is not a believer. And we, we see this all the time. One of the spouse comes to church, gives their life to Christ, transformed completely, and then their heart is just so heavy because their spouse has not yet chosen to follow Jesus. And sometimes the, the spouse that hasn't started to follow Jesus, they even make it really hard on the spouse that is following Jesus, you know, hurling insults, and, and it's, just, it's just difficult. And so Peter gives them instructions. And once again, what does he say? Hey, just live Jesus out in front of them. Don't try to change their mind or change them. Just, just serve God. And by being honorable and by being full of grace, maybe you'll win them over, right? And so I want you to read it this week. But, you know, when, when he was giving these instructions to, to wives, under Roman law at that time, a husband or a father had absolute authority over all members of his household, including his wife. And so once again, Paul wasn't advocating that, you know, that, that the current social structure was, was maybe how it should be. He was simply instructing, here's how to honor Christ in your current situation. And so then Paul goes to give instructions to husbands. And Paul's instructions to husbands at that time was very counterculture. Because what did he say? He said, honor your wife. Be understanding. She is your equal partner. Your equal partner in life. And then he said, your prayers will not be heard if you don't treat your wife as you should. And so it was way less of this top-down, like, I'm the man, and you, and you just better submit. No. Paul was so countercultural. He was countercultural at the time. And, and his, his, his heart was to say, let's live our lives in a way that is different. This was revolutionary at this time. We like to go to extremes in our relationships, we're either super duper submissive because we just, oh, I just want to be sacrificially loving everybody all the time. And, and, and so we even do really dumb things in the name of sacrifice, you know, and just being a doormat. Or we're super rigid and dogmatic and inflexible. And we're like, this is, this is how it is because the Bible says so, right? And in the name of God, we do some really dumb things. Like, this is just, we, we, we fly to these, these pendulums on either side. But I really believe the heart of what Peter is trying to teach us here is that it's not good for others when I'm a doormat, and it's not good for others when I'm inflexible. We gotta keep our agency and be flexible at the same time. Agency, what is this? It's the sense of control that you feel in your life. Your capacity to influence your own thoughts and behaviors and have faith in your ability to handle a wide range of tasks or situations. 
Your sense of agency helps you be psychologically stable, yet flexible in the face of conflict or change. Just to put that in layman's terms, because this is like a psychological definition. You get to choose how you respond in any situation, and that is something that no one can ever take away from you. Let's make this, put this in biblical terms. You can act like Jesus when people aren't acting like Jesus towards you. Amen? You can maintain your agency and say, I will be like Jesus in this relationship. And you can maintain your flexibility that when things aren't right, I might be living in a circumstance that is not ideal. My spouse is not a believer. People are not being nice to me. You know, I feel like I'm in this system or this, 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 this situation that is even maybe a little bit oppressive. But hey, I can still honor Jesus. No one can take that away from me. I get to choose how I'm going to respond. I love this, that this is a psychological principle that is proved by scripture. That you get to choose. No one can take it from you. So I exercise my agency by controlling my own thoughts, my feelings and behaviors, and by leading by example. I will not allow myself to lose control when when people do things I don't like. When I'm at the mercy of other people's actions and it feels like they are in control, hey, I'm gonna hold on to what I am in control of, which is my thoughts and my feelings and my attitudes and being like Jesus. As a Christ follower, Christ is the Lord of my thoughts and my responses. You see, some people think that maintaining their agency is controlling others by just saying no to everything and and manipulating the circumstance. But if the goal is to control others by our decisions, we've missed the point entirely. That's not the point. The point is to be like Jesus. So I maintain my flexibility by following the leadership that God has put in place, by being considerate of outsiders, and by choosing to live a humble life in front of every person that I meet, right? I get to choose that. There's, a, there's kind of a, 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 a damaging thought these days, culturally, that all leadership structures are bad or oppressive. And let me tell you, there are some crazy leaders out there <laughs> that are just, just off their rocker. But leadership structures don't remove my agency to choose. And this generation really needs to hear this. You're not gonna be able to control everything in life. You're not. But you get to live as a servant of Jesus Christ in every situation that you can't control. Isn't that really cool? that you get to, that you can choose to, that no one can take that from you because God has given you the ability to be a light in dark places, amen? First Peter 3, eight through nine. Finally, all of you should be of one mind, sympathize with each other, love each other as brothers and sisters, be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude, don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do and he will grant you his blessing. That's keeping your agency. That's staying flexible in in situations you feel like you can't control. You can do it, you can stay strong. 
And instead of just being a part of the problem, you can be a part of the solution, amen? You are free to not respond in kind. Let's choose to respond differently, amen? Number three, the third thing we're gonna learn from 1 Peter today as we close this message. We need to constant or consistently improve my communication. I need to consistently improve my communication. You say, Joe, I'm not, I'm not a good public speaker. I don't know what you mean. I'm not good at writing. I'm not good at talking. I, 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 you know, I've never been that great of a communicator. Well, it's okay. You know why? Because we communicate in two primary ways. Verbally, which is probably the one that you're thinking about, but we also communicate non-verbally. Non-verbally. Look what Peter says, 1 Peter 3, 13 through 17. Now who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about the hope that you have as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good, if that's what God wants, than to suffer for doing wrong. Amen? I love that. Always be ready. I've found that if I'm gonna always be ready, then I have to be in a constant and perpetual state of preparation which means I'm always getting better at formulating my thoughts, at speaking my thoughts, at writing my thoughts. You may say, Joe, I've never been good at that. Don't let that stop you from continuing to work on your ability to share what God has done in your life. Don't let it stop you. And, and remember, it's not just when somebody says, hey, tell me the reason why you have that hope. You know, those are the moments that we just dream about. We're like, oh, I just wish somebody would throw me that softball and I could, I could just knock it out of the park for Jesus. But what about the, the hundreds of thousands of moments that people see you live out in your life before they ask you that question? You know, you gotta consistently be improving that communication. What is your life communicating? Because as a believer, everything you do communicates something. And so it really matters what your life and your choices and your attitude and your body language and the smile on your face and the look in your eye. It matters what it all communicates. Your rhythms, your habits, your reactions, your motives. It all matters. And in case you're wondering, yes, people see your motives long before you open your mouth. They see it. They can smell it. They see it. And so we need to be improving all of it all the time. Our verbal communication, our nonverbal communication, how well we listen, how well we give grace, how well we receive grace, how, how we're leading, how we act when we don't get our way. Because we're image bearers, because we're message carriers, because we're ambassadors of the Savior. Don't sell yourself short today. You've been given a high calling. Your example really matters in life. People are looking at you and looking to you. Don't buy the lie that no one cares and that no one is looking. 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11 says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well 
Underline that. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do, you could, ba- you could basically say everything that my life communicates, everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory to, and power to him forever and ever. Amen. So once again, how is your life communicating the gospel? Where you're going, what you're doing, how you're talking, the attitude on your face, the the things that you're engaging in. What's it it saying to people? I'm not going to give you a list of do's and don'ts today. I think it's most effective when you ask Jesus, shine a spotlight on the things in my life I need to improve and wait and see what God does. Are you asking that best friend that that loves Jesus, that knows you more than anybody else in the world, hey, what do you see in my life? Wow. (laughs) How could I get better at communicating verbally or non-verbally? And humble yourself to that answer. So how is your life communicating the gospel? How is it communicating Jesus' grace, Jesus' self-sacrificial nature, Jesus' humility? Man, after hearing this message today and thinking about, man, all these problems with people and people are so uncooperative these days and everybody's just doing their own thing. Man, I hope that today you're challenged that, and you, you walk away saying things like this, that you're hoping to see every person that you come in contact with in eternity. I'm hoping that. I know that, you know, Jesus says that the, that the road is na- or narrow that leads to life and the, the, the road is wide that leads to destruction. And so we know that, unfortunately, everyone won't be there. But I'm hoping, I'm living with the expectation that, that because I'm on mission and, and, I'm, and I'm leading people towards Jesus, that, that every person I come in contact with, I could spend eternity with. So I'm going to treat them like it. I'm going to treat them like it because I've got a common goal in the future that I'm working towards. I'm I'm going to remember that I get to choose my reactions, my thoughts, and and no matter what my situation is and how hard it is and how how I feel like, man, I'm just in 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 a spot that I can't really control, that I can respond like Jesus. And then lastly, that I'm going to commit to improve every day how I'm communicating Jesus with my life. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for today's message. We look forward to having you back next week.